Before we begin today, we just learned of the tragic passing of Magnus White of uh, Boulder Junior Cycling. We wanted to take an opportunity to uh, extend our condolences to uh, the White family and to BJC uh, Cycling. Um, uh, As always, uh, remember that uh, when you're driving, keep an eye out for cyclists. Be as attentive as you can be. When you're riding, ride defensively, look out, do your best to get home safe, and uh, once again, Keep your uh, keep your thoughts and prayers with the uh, with the White family today. As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Another week, another thank you to the Norden Group. Uh, we're coming to you from probably like the hottest week of the summer. Last week was rough. I, I hope I hope things start to go back down towards some kind of. I'm not ready for fall yet per se. I'm still really enjoying summer. Um, but yeah, this last week was it's kind of tough motivation wise to be getting out there when it's this warm. It is. It's hard. I mean, it is nice once you get up a little higher and you can stay out a little later. I mean, it is nice that you can ride until like 9:30 and it's there's still some light out there, but. It is it is tough to ride in the hot heat, but you know the riding in the fall it's it's just so amazing, and, and I think you kind of get this new sense of rejuvenation when when it cools down a little bit. So just just hang in there; it'll it'll get better. Yeah, keep 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 the motivation up. Keep driving up. Enjoy enjoy Snowbird. Enjoy solitude. Enjoy Park City. But don't forget, heat acclimation is a good thing. This is don't, true. Don't neglect that. Especially if you race in Nike. It's, it's not, you know, Nike races. Are, I always kind of wish Nike races were more in the fall, you know, because it they always are. seemed like, I mean, more in the fall. I'd push yeah, them even back farther in the, in the fall. Yeah, they're about as far in the fall as you can get. I mean, October. That's not it, October in St. George, though, yeah. or in Cedar City. It's, it's, always, it's always a little on the warm side, but um, I've been enjoying it. We've got the Snowbird I-Cup coming up this week, um, which... Uh, I'm planning on doing. Finally, going to put my my racing pants back on. Um, uh, we've got. We, we had. Um, well, there was El Dose. I don't know. Oh yes, it. up in Powder which, Mountain. Yeah, right? which was kind of cool. I, I I've never been to that, but it sounds like a pretty cool event. Like I know, the people that race it, like um, like a lot of the racers, they got about sixty miles each. So the the teams of two would get about one hundred and twenty miles between them. So it's a, it's a big race it's a and ton. We, um, I, apparently we had a lot of Maybird riders out there. Very um, well represented. Yeah, I, I guess Xander and Dane Cowan's team, Xander Lyman and Dane Cowan, they got the overall. Did they really? Yeah. And and then second place was Nathaniel Jensen and Cole Horner. Holy smokes. And then third place was Chris Hawley's team. Okay. They and beat then, Chris Hawley's team? And then fourth place 
was uh, Eli Ferdner's team. Really? Yeah. So, no way. We're cleaning up. Yeah, but um, so I think three of the top, or like, yeah, three of the top four were Maybird teams, and that's what we like to we see. We had a lot of other riders do it. I heard, I heard they just all rode their hearts out and had fun, did awesome. So we always say that we don't care how many Maybird kids are on podiums as long as we develop good life habits and stuff. But the truth is, we love seeing kids on podiums. You know, I definitely and, don't mind it, and I love that. You know, because. I go to races like it seems like almost every other weekend I'm at a race, maybe sometimes almost every weekend it seems like. Um, so I didn't make it out to this one, but I, I think it's so cool that we've got riders representing us in lots of cool different events that, you know, the kind team of these alternative events. That yeah, are... the, the team doesn't officially set up a tent and support, but I, I love to see that we're out there at all these different events, like at midweek races and. I mean, I just wanted Maybird jerseys to be at as many different events as possible. Miles Baker's convinced me and some other Maybird guys to go do the Park State Park City Wednesday Night Worlds road ride on this coming Wednesday. Oh, cool. So a bunch of Maybird jerseys representing with skinny tires and stuff. We'll have cyclocross later in the year. Definitely want to yeah. see Maybird kits at that. You know, and if... If you know of a rider that did something that's worth mentioning on the podcast, just let us know. Please you tell know? us. This team's getting big enough that, like, especially for me, I'm like, if you don't tell us, we might miss it. Yeah, like, we so, cannot keep track yeah, keep of everything us, everyone's doing. Keep us in the loop on cool things you guys are out there doing. And if anything ever needs a shout out, we love shouting things out. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we do have to follow up on last week on our uh, social media nutrition episode. Uh, we had four submissions for what people think is going to be the next big health trend, and I just wanted to run over these. The first two were from Eli Ferdner, who's been first guy sending me the, the code word every week for the past few weeks, too. Eli is on top. He's probably listening right now, huh? Um, uh, Eli's submissions were uh, eating leather because it will make your skin stronger and will help your gut health, and uh, smoking sawdust because it'll make you grow taller like a tree. Okay, that, that tracks. That makes sense. Neither of those are dumber than borax. So um, Brady says uh, KY jelly will be the next big thing because when it's ingested, the naturally occurring chemicals, i.e. petroleum, will coat the inner intestinal wall so that only good foods can penetrate. Sugar and fats are too large as compounds to penetrate and therefore won't be absorbed into the body. Um, Do you know that I can... I can get behind I that. I think we should be careful because I think that's something people could buy into. And Do we need to disclaim really quickly that we're... we're yeah, these, we're, this is satire. We, yeah, let's just make... entire. I don't want to be in like a deposition and be like, how many times did you encourage youth athletes to ingest KY jelly? And like, well, you know, <laughs> depends. I had a certain inflection when I was saying it. Um, uh, and then finally, Calvin Christensen said, uh, fitness influencers will be saying that Flintstones vitamin gummies are or cause drug relapses and weight gain due to stress. So he's saying something you should avoid. So okay. remember this week, make sure to eat lots of leather, smoke lots of sawdust, um, get your KY jelly in, you know, put some on your oatmeal in the morning, and then make sure to stay away from those Flintstones vitamins because they will cause drug relapses and weight gain. Interesting. So yeah, I don't think any of those, like, I think it's, I think when your baseline is like as stupid as TikTok nutrition information is, it's kind of hard to come up with satire. Um, but you guys did a good job. If anybody else wants to send any more of those, I will happily read them. I know we could probably find funnier ones that are actually being said out there. Yeah, probably. I, I, I looked at that a little bit and it was, it was too depressing for me to, for me to do much on that. So, um, thank you for the submissions there. 
Um, really quickly, we should run over some bike world news. Um, we saw a really, really cool, completely dominant performance at the end of the Tour Femme. Uh, Demi Vollering wrapping up um, uh, uh, the title, taking taking the yellow jersey off the shoulders of last year's winner, Annemiek van Vluten. Um, crushed Can you really quick the explain the different jerseys? Ah, yes. So in the tour, the very basics is, is most stage races will have a leader's jersey, and that goes to the rider who has the lowest overall time, right? So in the tour, it's the Maillot Jaune, the yellow jersey, and the Giro, it's the Maillot Rosa, which is the pink jersey. They've got the red jersey and the Vuelta, and then like... Uh, in the Cape Epic, it's a yellow jersey. You know, like a lot of them are yellow jerseys because of the tour. Um, the same company that owns the tour owns like uh, the Dauphiné and Perry Nice, I want to say. Both of those, I think, have yellow jerseys. Okay, but leader's jersey is sometimes yellow. Yellow jersey yeah. doesn't necessarily mean leader's yellow jer- jersey. It depends on the race. So in the tour, you've got the green jersey for sprints, the polka dot jersey for the climbing competition, the white jersey for the best young rider. But in the Giro in the past, it's been the Ciclamino purple jersey that's for sprinters and stuff. So depending on the race that you're watching, different colors will mean different things. Okay. So, but yeah, in the tour, it's, in the tour it's yellow. It's yellow for it's the leader jersey, polka dot for the climbers uh, competitions, green for the sprint competition, and then um, white for the, um, uh, for the best young rider. Both the Giro and the Tour, and I think the Vuelta as well, also have a black jersey. This is like an impromptu quiz question. You know what the black jersey is, Dan? I don't know that they actually make anyone for wear it the anymore. the person that's having the most fun. Yes, for the person. No, it's actually for the person in last place. Uh, oh. In the Giro, it was called the Mayo at Zorro. Uh, Mayo at Zorro, I want to say. And then in the Tour, it was the... Um, uh, the Red Lantern, uh, the Lantern Rouge. So I think it might have been a red jersey or something like that, and then the Giro, the Giro it's black. I don't know that they actually make anyone wear it anymore because sponsors don't like that. But it was actually kind of cool because I remember there's a sprinter named Sam Bennett in the tour a few years ago who's on a second... He's a he's one of the big guys now, but he's on a second division team. Had like four or five hideous crashes, right? But he finished, the, he finished like every single day he was last, but he was fighting harder than anyone to get to the finish with all these injuries. And so that year... The the Lantern Rouge was actually kind of a kind of a cool competition to see if Sam Bennett could actually make it, and, and he did. Hmm. So yeah. All right. And so any back to the back board. to the back to the Tour Femme. Yeah, Demi Vollering just absolutely crushed it. Like this year was all about dominance. I mean, we saw Vingegaard dominate, Demi Vollering dominate. Like I think it's it's fun when we go in these cycles of kind of domination and then competition, where it's like some years it's wide open, it could go either way. But this year the Tour was just a story of of two riders who are head and shoulders above the rest of the field, just crushing it. So, uh, congratulations to Demi Vollering and to SD Works. Um, pretty much flawless tour from them. Um, granted, their tactics were a little all over the place sometimes, but I think their riders are strong enough that they, you know, can get by with subpar tactics. Um, so that was super cool. We have the Mountain Bike World Championships coming up not too long from now. Uh, a couple people have asked me how to watch it, and I'm still trying to figure that out. It's a little tricky. I don't know if it'll be available through like GCN. Um, I've been watching the World Cups on GCN using a VPN. Lots of acronyms for you there. Um, so yeah, I'll try to get some more information on on that. Um, any other news we need to run over? You know, I can't think of any. I mean, we did, uh, yesterday we did a, we've been kind of trying to do some, for anyone that's interested in racing point to point at some point or, or this year, we're doing some group rides. Um, they've completely changed the the first part of the course this year because oh, really? uh, because they uh, decided that a new hotel is more important than ah. 
than the village trail and, and pipeline. You know, As always. Yeah, apparently hotels make more money than free cross-country trails. But Ski resorts are evil and gross. I, I have no good things to say about them. But No, but so they, they, they're doing more in Round Valley, and, um, and I actually kind of liked it because a lot of the stuff in Round Valley, like they used to have some really, really super steep, yeah, kind of kicks climbs in round that people a lot it was so crowded at that point they'd have to get off and walk and I think it'll be a little easier to to thin things out in Park City a little yeah. bit because um, Round Valley is always kind of a mess won't won't bottleneck quite as much um, but not like this coming weekend is going to be the um, the I Cup the weekend after that I'm I'm wanting on a Friday to do the first two thirds of point to point. And on the Saturday to do the last third of point to point, so you're kind of stringing it all together with a night of sleep in between. So but it's you not, still kind of get an idea of what you're yeah, dealing with. So it's yeah. not as stressful, but it'd be kind of a good last final workout. So hoping and, and we call them point to point rodeos because you basically come along, ride until you feel like crap, and then you yep. just you dip. Ride till you drop, and just kind of gauge where you're at. Yeah, like we don't want to have you do an effort that's going to require two weeks in bed to recover from, you know, right. you just, you just Which ride. It's kind of what point to point is. It can be, yeah. you know, um, you ride till you feel like you've, you've, you're done, you're good. And then you can just kind of dip. And so, so hopefully you get a, a good group to join us on that. You'll see a invite on team snap soon, but keep an yeah. eye out for that. So I do have, I have a quiz for you, Dan, and this quiz was inspired by Miles Baker. Oh no. Um, we, uh, I went on a really fun skyline ride with Miles on uh, Thursday, and we had a funny you moment. You happened to be there on a. Excuse me, I happened. I was. And the same just trailhead. Prancing along in Park City of my own volition and on my own. And I happened to run into the Skyline High School mountain bike team and accompanied them in a very legally okay way, <laughs> given. I did not sign up to be an Nike coach this year. So, um, uh, but Miles and I were talking and we, we were talking about like sponsors in the bike world. And, and we had that funny moment where, where Miles was like, I've never bought an Arkea before, right? We're kind of joking. We have no idea who all these sponsors are, right? I think I've done a quiz like this before. I've given you a few sponsors mm-hmm. and yeah. tried to like, you have to guess what they do. Like when was a grocery store? Right. So I have actually gone through and compiled. So I, I was looking at the mountain bike side. It's boring in the mountain bike side because only bike companies sponsor mountain bike. Like it's Scott's Ram, Cannondale Factory Racing. It's, you know, like there were a very few that had different sponsors, but for the most part, it's bike companies. But on the road, it's, you know, there's still some bike companies, but there are a lot of other totally random companies that we hear all the time, but we have no idea what they do. Which is probably better because I think these companies tend to have more money than bike companies do. Yes. Generally speaking, yes. Um, So I went and I found out what industry every single title sponsor in both the men's and women's world tour does. And I, I want you, Dan, to, um, uh, to guess what is the number one industry. There's actually a tie for first place. What two industries are the biggest sponsor in road cycling right now? This is half a trick question. I would say the first one is oil. No. Good guess, though. Okay, is it um, a government? Yes, that's half of it. So yeah, there are four individual government sponsors in road cycling right now. There's the government of the UAE, there is the government of Kazakhstan, and then there's some like government adjacent sponsors where like it's the Saudi Amer- the Saudi Arabian tourism industry, or like okay. their office of tourism is one of the ones under Alula. 
And then um, there's one other I'm forgetting. But yeah, governments are one of them. And then there is another just like standard industry answer for the other first place. There's a tie for first place. Um, caffeinated shampoo. That is on there. That is on there. I put but that under cosmetics. Okay. Um, no, there are four. Four of these. This kind of surprised me a little bit. There's four what? Oh, the four companies in this space that sponsor professional road cycling, world tour professional road cycling as title sponsors. Thinking, thinking. Dad's okay. giving me a timeout because he wants to think. Just throw out a guess. I, don't, I give up. Tell it me. is building materials. Really? Yeah, yeah. So there's one like Sudal. If you've heard that, they do. They're like the, one of the biggest adhesives manufacturers in Europe. There's uh, De Kernink that does windows, and then there were a couple others okay. as well um, that, that are in that space. And then bike companies, there are only three right now, which kind of surprised me that operate as the title sponsor for their teams. Um, going back down uh, at three, we have banking grocery stores. There are three separate grocery stores. Yeah, sponsoring. there's a grocery store. There's Yumbo, there's Lytle, and then there's Intermarché, all European. Uh, we do get Lytles here, though. So, um, And then uh, banking, I think I already said, tech and software. And then at two, we have appliances, healthcare, HR management, and insurance. And then there are one each of the following. Um Automakers, bike, uh, uh, non-bike frame, bike manufacturers, so SRAM, mm-hmm. right? Like other bike companies. Um, coffee, cosmetics, education, engineering, gas stations, national lotteries, oil, petrochemical. There's only the uh, there's there's only the one right now. There's Total with Peter Sagan's on, but they're not World Tour. Mm-hmm. So you could, I'd maybe count them as one because they've got Peter Sagan, but one oil company and then shipping, telecommunications, and then utilities and RVs. Uh, Jayco RVs sponsor Jayco Alula. So that's a weird combination. We have Ooh. an RV company and the National Tourism Office of the Saudi Arabian government going in together on a cycling team. So it is interesting to think about that because like without sponsors, cycling can't really happen. It's very expensive and it's not a winning business strategy. And so from what I was reading, a lot of these are companies like oil companies trying to kind of like greenwash their operation by sponsoring a cycling team or repressive Middle Eastern governments trying to like, you know, like, ooh, look at this. We sponsor cycling. This is cool. Pay attention to this. Not human rights violations. Not everything else we do, right? Um, But then a lot of these, it just seems like someone at Jayco RVs really likes cycling and has some sway over their marketing. You know, like a lot of, uh, or like, um, uh, like the tech companies are almost all Belgian. Like Belgian and Dutch tech companies because people there like cycling, so they put money into cycling, so... Kind of interesting to think about because in the mountain bike space, we don't get that. It's just bike stuff mm-hmm. that you see as sponsors. So that was our little quiz. Well, Not really a quiz because there's only one question, but I thought that was mildly interesting. You're right. It was mildly interesting. It was interesting. mildly interesting. Good job, Joe. There are people out there who appreciate this stuff, Dan. They're not you, but they're <laughs> out there. Shout out to my, my fellow nerds. But uh, that's all I have for now. So we will uh, turn the time over to Dan now for the the meat and potatoes of our podcast here. And you spent you spent some time prepping this one. This one should be decently good, right? Well, you would think. But one would think. One would think. No, this one's been a struggle. Um, this one, I, I, I had a question... And I kind of went out looking for answers and honestly didn't really find anything. Uh-oh. So here we are. Huh. Is it, did Oswald act alone? Like, what are we, are we talking about aliens this week? That's the, should we do a podcast about aliens? Whether aliens are real? So, so my question was, well, so I've got a few questions. I thought it would be funny to just talk about, you know, we talk about Zone 2 all the time, you know. Right. 
I thought, gosh, maybe we should do a podcast about Zone One. There wouldn't, you go. Wouldn't that be? It's like Zone Two, but better, right? <laughs> but so so basically, my question is is if if you don't need recovery. If you accidentally went out and rode with people that are a lot slower than you and it ended up being more of a zone one ride, okay, was that a waste of time? So do, to be clear here, like to set our parameters, in a situation where you didn't need the recovery, yeah, riding zone one, is there any benefit? Yes. Is it a waste of time? Or, or in other words, um, you know, what if you, you set out to do a zone two ride but you do it too easy and you're 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 actually in doing zone 1 instead is that a waste of time or, or you know or is there a point that your easy rides are too easy okay is, interesting is kind of what we I'm should saying. say generally not the problem for the audience of this podcast but it's an interesting question to think about they usually fall on the other side but well yeah they are on the other side typically but you know like i think a lot of times like if a kid shows up gets put in a group that um that's probably feels like it's too easy are is there a point where it's so easy that, that you're they're wasting actually their time. wasting your time is oh, okay. kind of my question because and I, that's interesting because i really don't know because intuitively i'd say yes but then i'm sure i'm wrong so like i don't because we always extol the virtues of zone two which feels easy for like the crowd we're talking to that means going really easy right like riding in zone one is like if you're going out and riding with your grandma almost, right? Like that's like a level of going slow that like most people, but then again, we do all spend a fair amount of time in zone one. If you're like a lot of like easy descending, you'll end up in zone one for heart rate. You know, if you're riding in the road and there's lots of stop signs, you're going to end up in zone one a lot. So we do kind of end up riding in zone one a lot of the time unintentionally. So this is talking about like doing a whole ride that's in zone one, right? Yeah, because like, like when you're in a mountain bike, you're really bouncing between zone, zone one and zone five, and one. five a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of, in theory, probably averages out, I guess. Um, but, I, I, you know, and I, I looked into it a lot, and there's really nothing clear and concise. No one's done their no research really, project on this. You know, but there's, there's, I mean, I think a lot of it is probably fairly common sense, and... I th- I think that there's there's definitely a lot of opinion out there, you know, but oh, yeah. but no one's actually done like a a controlled scientific study on it and come up with right. anything conclusive. So interesting. I think a lot of what we're talking about is probably more like opinion and and this is and common sense. You oh, know? Okay. Um, so we're not. This is not a science episode, to be clear. <laughs> but so basically, we really don't know. Exactly, you know, because because your zone two is kind of a range. We really don't know where the lower end of zone two starts. You know, like we really, really? don't. Yeah, um, that point isn't isn't certainly clear. So why is that? Because it's like on my Garmin where it has my zone set. There is like a number where you tick from zone one into zone two. What do you mean? Like we don't like physically as far as when those the chain like. Like like zone one and two are kind of human constructs that aren't really backed up by some sort yeah, well, of like, physical phenomenon going on in your like body. Like between zone two and zone three, there's actually something that changes physically in your body. Oh, interesting. When you cross that zone. That doesn't happen between one and two. Not really. And so it's something that we've just kind of 
made up and estimated and it's usually based on a certain percentage of your heart rate or FTP or something. Interesting. Um, so really they're kind of the same thing. We just decide to call them two different things. Basically, you know, but there really probably is a certain point where, you know, and it's really not like a certain point. It's more of like a gradual thing. You're gradually ramping up these things until they get to that, that certain point where you're kind of crossing from zone two to zone three. But, um, you know, when, you know, and so like, like another question that I think we probably should address too, is it like, if you're going to do a zone two ride, is it better to err on the side of going a little bit too hard or a little bit too easy? Okay. Like accidentally doing a zone 2.5 ride or a zone 1.5 ride basically. Right. Okay. You know, so these are kind of all the questions I've kind of been wondering and, you know, I thought we'd, we're getting really in the weeds now. We're running out of topics, huh, Dan? Like, no, is, I, I think this is super interesting. It's an interesting question. You know, because like, like I say, there's a lot of times where, you know, a kid might go on a ride with a group that they think's too slow for them and they think they just wasted their time, you know? Or like if you're going out and coaching young riders, riding with a bunch of seven-year-olds, yeah. right? Like, Was that just a waste of time and won't benefit? Like your... physically, was that a waste of time? Yeah. My guess, can I throw in a guess really quick? Sure. I would submit that it just kind of does yeah that it's not a waste of time and it kind of does nothing like that it doesn't really make it it would be like if you wanted to walk would be my guess that like sure your heart's beating it's it's probably good for you exercise wise but training wise i'm gonna say unless you need recovery no okay i'm that's what i'm and, settling on you know and as far as the answer to that question what i would say is you're certainly not wasting your time. What you did was better than doing nothing. Okay. But chances are there was an intensity you could have been working at that you would have accomplished more in the same amount of time. More bang for your buck. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very nuanced answer, basically. Yeah, well... Darn nuance ruining my fun all the time. <laughs> so, so, yeah, really, really you're not wasting your time. Because there's... Um, you know, we'll probably talk more about PGC one alpha later. And we've, we've mentioned it before. And I know if you listen to the, the fast talk podcast, they've, they talk about that all the time, but basically PGC one alpha is a protein that determines how good of an endurance athlete we are. And there's a lot of different pathways that activate PGC one alpha and in um, PGC one alpha, it controls like, you know, the how much mitochondria we develop, how strong and healthy our mitochondria is. It it really controls like how well we can use fat as fuel. It, I I believe it has something to even do with like our our fiber type distribution. It basically controls everything that would make it so we could run a long, 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 long time from a predator rather than pick up the predator and throw it. That's a different... So performance-wise, it's got its finger in every pie that we're interested in, right? It really is. And like anything that activates this is going to make us better cyclists. It's super, super important. A little bit nerdy, obviously, but... A little bit. Super important. And there's a whole bunch of different pathways that that um, signal PGC1-alpha. We say pathways... Like 
like like things that we can do mm-hmm. to and then when you say like like activate like what I don't know if, if, if this is getting too in the weeds but you said when you activate it like what because it's a protein we're talking about right so when you ride zone two what is happening to this protein to activate it and then what does activating it actually mean yeah so activating it will express all those different um epigenetic traits that would make us a better athlete okay and and the different pathways there's like ampk is one that will signal it that that um and that's usually done through like higher intensity um one of the main ones is the calcium signaling pathway Hmm. which which um which will activate this pgc1 alpha and and so basically every time you flex a muscle um a little bit of calcium is released into the muscle, which causes it to contract. Oh, okay. And that happens every time you, you contract a muscle. Is that because it's like an electrolyte or something or? Um, it's like the signaling molecule that, huh. that will basically cause a muscle to contract. It's done by calcium. And every time this happens, it, it will signal PGC1-alpha. And the interesting thing about it, it's more about the amount of time that is spent signaling that versus the strength of the contraction. Oh, so, okay. So you can either, you know, either if the contraction is really um, prolonged or repeated a high number of time, that sends a stronger signal. To so to measure it. this, you'd say it was for this duration that we were having this calcium release versus we had 150 instances of this calcium release, right? Like well, it's more like combined. Like you can either you know, you can either like have a contraction that um that like you know, you you're you 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 hold a you hold a contraction for a long period of time versus repeat it over and over and over again. Um and this is something that so like if you go out and do like a super easy ride, you ride for six hours, but you're contracting like that many thousands of times, it's sending a pretty strong signal, even though it's super easy. Oh, okay. And the signal is the same regardless of how intense it is. You know, like like a hard one, like, like a hard contraction really kind of sends the same signal as, a, as an easier one. So, so as far as this particular signal, which is just one of many. Right more is better and so so if your legs are moving yeah it's all it's all the same it's it's particular pathway it's benefiting i mean it does take a lot of time and it accumulates and so forth right um but whether you're doing a 90 minute cross-country race that's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life or 90 minutes running around a parking lot at corner canyon with the young riders this is in this particular way this say this pathway is the same right the same but the thing about this pathway is you can do a six-hour ride right you know and you can accumulate a lot of time so so in this sense, it's, you know, it's not a waste of time. Um, but so let's, um, I just thought we'd talk about easy rides today. Okay. Um, so I think we've kind of established, yeah, you know, easy rides, they're not a waste of time, but they can be. Okay. And we'll get to Depends that. on how you define waste of time. Because I think for a lot of people, like waste of time, is it, is it a total loss or did you just leave something on the table? And we're saying you're leaving something on the table, but... Not yeah. a total waste of time, right? Yeah. So, so let's talk about easy rides. And I'd say, you know, there's there, we're going to have three different types of easy rides. Okay. So, um, 
first of all, we've we've talked several times about kind of the the barrier between zone two and zone three and why that's actually quite rem- significant. Re- remind us again what is actually happening between zone two. Like when you tick over from zone two to zone three, what like observable observable phenomena are happening that tell us that you've gone from two to three. Okay, so that's when you just start to produce more power than you can than fat metabolism alone can produce. Okay. You know, so once you bump above there, you're starting fat to fat metabolism cannot support you entirely. It has right? to be supplemented with your carbohydrate. Got it. Energy, you know. So your glycolytic energy. Um, so at you know at the at the peak of zone two you're making power completely by by fat metabolism your right. mitochondria are working at their their peak rate um, once you go beyond that you're using less you gradually start using less fat and more carbohydrate you're flipping on the turbochargers basically yeah. right okay you know, and you'll you'll use less fat more carbohydrate from that point on um, but also at that point is where um, like some of the stress hormones start kicking in like cortisol um, it's, it's where you start there starts to be like a an autonomic stress response we've talked about that a bunch of times um, you know and, and so it, it is a pretty you know it's, it is a somewhat significant turning point even though we can't really detect it you know we just have to kind of guess where it is which is right you know which is so and, and I've always kind of said that earlier in the season when you're not, you know, during kind of the base period, if, you know, you go out on a ride, group ride, and you go over this point, not a huge deal, you know, if, you know, if you're during the base period, um, you know, you go out and have a fun ride, you go a little bit over here and there, yeah. not, a, not a huge deal, yeah. you know, you're not the end of the world. I mean, so, so the three types of easy rides and I used air quotes the first one is going to be staying right at zone two which as far as you know kind of bang for the buck goes generally that's going to be the best bang for the buck if you could just theoretically kind of just stay right at that point for one hour then an hour and a half then two hours and ideally get it to a point where you know, ideally you're spending 12 to 15 hours a week at that point. And really quick, as right, we say best bang for the buck. We, we mean like the most benefit for the least amount of recovery required, right? Because you've kind of said to me before, like you could ride a little harder than zone two, but you're going to get about the same benefits and it's going to wear you out more. So you'll need more time to recover, right? Is that what we're, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Here? Yeah. And in fact, you know, um, that brings up a, th- a thought. Uh, I heard an interview the other day with Steven Seiler. And he's kind of the father of polarized training. And he's always talked about kind of like a three zone model where where you've got kind of your your easy rides and kind of this middle ground that you kind of cross into. And and then your hard rides, which are above, you know, above your lactate threshold, which um, on the five zone model, where's that? That would be zones four and five. Okay. You know, and zone three would kind of be the. The no man's so we're saying zones one and two, zone three, and then zones four and five. Yeah, kind of how he divides it how up, he right? Did, yeah, he, he would divide it up. But he's kind of started thinking of it a little differently lately, and he kind of thinks that there's there's almost like two types of rides. You know, like your easy rides, 
and then your above zone two rides, he kind of is now more lumping them all into the same class. Oh, interesting. You know, he's kind of like, because once you get past that point, you're really turning on a stress response that does take longer to recover from. And unless, you know, unless it's hard enough, you're really not, unless it's hard enough and repeated enough, you're really not going to get a, a bigger benefit than if you would have stayed below zone two. Right. Um, but it does require additional recovery because you've activated some stress hormones and right so, you know so so yeah so you know kind of staying right at that zone too especially during the earlier parts of the season before you start doing intervals and so forth um great bang for the buck and the ideal with that is you know you have to keep adding to it you know so you're building up so like each week you're progressively doing kind of more and more of that until you get to a point where you're doing whatever your time allows you know, and for most people, that's 12 or 15 hours a week is prob probably about the most people's time would allow or that they're they could really just handle from a recovery standpoint. Yeah. Like a mental sustainable, you know, because like yeah. you can go over that, but that's where we start seeing a high rate of like well, burnout. And, right? and, well, and some people can go over that, but not everyone can really benefit from going over that. So, yeah, kind of diminishing I, returns. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of kids, Nike kids training up to 20 hours a week. There were a couple of weeks in high school where I did that. I don't think it's, it's... I think most kids probably 12 to 15 is plenty. It's usually inconsistent with long-term sustainable success on the bike. Yeah. So that's your... And we've talked about these types of Zone 2 rides over and over again. Oh, yeah. I don't People apologize. People are so sick of it, it I'm really, sure. But. It really... I mean, your mitochondria are acting at their their maximum rate at this point. And it's it's where we really develop the most metabolic health you know so it's like y'all might go to church every sunday and hear like you know like every just be nice to people be nice to people that's all they say every week and we're like yep that's kind of it if you take away anything it's kind of the same thing like riding zone two probably yeah, ride know. easier for a lot of you you like, know i want like, to keep coming up with new cool things but yeah gosh, but so yeah so but that's the first type of easy ride and it's not really that easy of a ride because you do feel like you get a workout oh at yeah this point. Like, oh yeah like you know, you should be able to talk while you're doing it, but if you're on the phone with someone, they could tell you were exercising. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but then a lot of times when I'm working with kids, the, the next type, I just call it a low zone two ride. And I usually, I start encouraging this type of ride once kids, you know, once you're kind of within eight weeks of your target race and you start doing intervals, I start telling kids to do low zone two rides because zone two, like we said, it's not like some point. It's kind of a range and the right. range really depends on how we're feeling that day. And I mean, it could depend on a lot. Of, and, the, and it also depends on, we don't really know exactly what our body's doing. Metabol we're just kind of guessing, you know? And so when I, when I encourage people to do low zone two, it's, it's more, just being really, really sure they're not crossing that line now. Now that we're starting to do high, you know, high intensity intervals, you know, um, does that make sense? Yeah. And as a reminder, really quickly, like, how do you decide? Like, like you finish a ride, you're like, yep, that ride was zone two. Is that like? Because I always look at like my whoop after my rides because it's interesting, right? It'll say like you spent this much time in each zone. You know, a Garmin will tell you time in zone or whatever, depending on heart rate or power, like. 
it, you know, it's always a pretty good mix. Like there's time I'm spending in each of the zones. And usually for me, like full disclosure, like it's in zone three is where I'm spending most of my time, which is bad. Um, is it like whichever zone you spent the most time in? Is that what kind of ride it was? Or is it what zone you were in when you were paying attention to what zone you were in? Or Because a lot of road rides, like if it's what time or what zone you spent the most time in, a lot of really long road rides are going to end up being zone one by power because you're coasting a lot of the time, right? Or if you're riding in traffic, you kind of can't put out enough power, right? Because you have to be kind of moving with the flow. So like, how do you decide after the fact what kind of ride it was? Because you can set up and say, I'm going to do a zone two ride. How do you know that you actually succeeded? What number are you looking at? Do you know, I, and we, we talked about this a little bit in the heart rate episode. Um, I think really pacing a zone two ride, the most important thing is perceived exertion. And okay. you really should just try and kind of set a governor on the ride and just keep it below a certain point. You so know, you say keep it below. So try to like, you know, like as long as you're not getting into zone three, it was a zone two ride power wise or you know, heart rate wise. And like I say, if you occasionally get up there, that's not a big deal. It's right. not going to make the, the workout absolutely pointless. Right. Um, but I think as much as possible, you should try to keep it. So you're able to talk the whole time. So zone two you're, ride really means a ride where you avoid zones three through five or zones you, three. Yeah. Up, I right? would intentionally try to avoid those zones that's that's really practically what we're saying yeah right you you try yeah you're not gonna avoid them you're gonna you know yeah. sometimes you got to get over a rock that's not gonna yeah don't panic ride. yeah don't panic but your intention should be to try and keep it below a certain point and just accumulate as much time as you can there and just know that that the magic you're doing is happening even though it doesn't hurt right you know and you're going to be, you know, later in the week, you're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing something that's completely opposite that is going to hurt, that is going to sting, that is going to make you fast because you've, right. you know, because you've done this other type of work. Right. Because it's easy to understand, I just worked really hard, so I'm going to get something. It's kind of harder for people to, like, really start to believe, like, hey, you know what? A super chill or what feels to a Nike kid, super chill zone two ride, you're still cashing a big old check from that right you don't need to be suffering to be to be you know making dough as the kids would say (laughs) yeah i'm glad amy doesn't listen to this because she'd kill me for saying stuff like that so embarrassed Um, yeah and and so so yeah so once we're kind of into the part of the season where we're going to start doing intervals like i said we we start doing i I just call them low zone two rides and like i say the purpose is just so kids really really try to kind of keep it at or below that point and um part of the reason part of the reason for these rides one is just maintenance right you know because i think unless you're kind of pushing close towards the upper end of zone two you're probably not progressing that a whole lot but hopefully by this time in the season you've kind of progressed your zone two to about the maximum amount of hours and you know you've been doing it long enough that you know, you're really probably, if you kept doing that same zone two all year long, you probably wouldn't see a whole lot of improvements. And so, you know, these kind of lower zone two rides are just kind of to maintain that. Right. You know, so you're not going to lose it. Because if you just quit doing them all together, you'd probably lose it. You know, so so maintenance is, and like I say, that's assuming you've already kind of maxed out your, your zone two training based on the time that you have. Um, 
but the main probably the main purpose for these kind of lower zone two rides is so so when it's time to light it up you can light it up right and we say this all the time but it's it's worth you know like like I think a lot of people don't know how to ride easy or hard. They kind of they know how to ride one. You always say like one speed, right? Um, and like, it doesn't matter how good your willpower is. Like, if you're tired, you cannot push as hard as you need to be pushing. Sometimes, but you can feel like you're pushing hard, right? And that's kind of the distinction. And that's why that's why power meters and heart rate monitors are important. Because on those days, like on my really really bad days, it feels like a nightmare to push my FTP where, you know, like on another day would be like, oh, okay, like this is, I can tell I'm doing it, but you know, for four or five minutes, it's fine. Right. For an hour, it's hard. But then there's other days where staying at my FTP for f- two or three minutes feels like a nightmare. Right. Where if we were just going up, that's kind of the downside of perceived exer- exertion, right. Is that depending on how you're feeling on a certain day, a, a perceived exertion of five might be a completely different thing in terms of its toll on your body and its effect on your fitness. Right. Yeah, if you're exhausted, you could be pushing really, really hard and feel like you're doing a lot of quality work and breaking new ground when really you're not. It just right. feels like you are. Yeah. You know, and so... It's why heart rate monitors and power meters exist, right? Yeah, it's why you need all three, really, to yeah. to, to do things well. Um, but yeah, like, like I've said all the time, you know, a lot of times, because I've ridden with a lot of high school kids, you know, and I'll do... I'm always surprised at how hard their zone two rides are yep. and how lackluster their intervals are. Yeah. You know, and it sounds harsh, but like, that's the truth. You know, like those, like I've ridden with a lot of guys who are like way, way, way like professional level riders. Right. And I'll be surprised. I'm like, Oh wow. I, I rode with them and I totally hung or whatever. And then we get to a race and, and they're putting in lap times that are 10 minutes faster than mine. Right. Like they save, they really save their their ammo for when it matters. You know, they're not going and wasting it all the time, like burning matches for no reason. Yeah. One thing to kind of keep in mind with like professional riders is, and I've said this before, like I think what's impressive about a professional rider isn't their threshold or their watts per kilo at threshold. Right. I think what's really impressive with a professional rider is what they can do at zone two. Right, what they like, can do all day. Because like you think about it, like a professional rider can ride 300 watts at zone two and do that for six hours. Yeah. You know, and like, um, and then like a normal person like me, you know, my zone two is like maybe like 180 or 200 watts. And, you know, I could do that for, I can do that for a decently amount of time. You know, but then an unhealthy a metabolically unhealthy person couldn't do a hundred Watts for two hours. You know, can I throw something out there that I've observed based on watching a lot of like uh, professional cycling is in the past few years, there's the, the riders have started to use these Velon devices where we can see what their power is while they're riding. Right. And I've always been struck by the fact that like you watch Vanderpool attack in the tour of Flanders. Right. And, and the power when he's attacking is high, but I'm like, there are plenty of amateur riders who are capable of hitting that power. Um, even like the power they're doing in a sprint in the Tour de France, I'm like, there are a lot, of, a lot of people who are not professionals who can kick out similar numbers. The difference between you and them is that their, their neutral gear, right? Their, their idle gear is, is, is 300 watts, is five times what yours is, right? Where like, you know, like, I'm sure that like there are people who can match Caleb Ewan's power, but can they ride for six hours before they do that? Probably not. Right. So like 
the difference between the professionals and us really is the kind of you is know is too. what their idle gear is right yeah. and I think especially for road riders um, mountain bikers it's maybe a little different but even still right like you know it's I think I always kind of figured that like what made a racer was what you could do when it was time to totally light it up or whatever but I think in races people are so tired that lighting it up doesn't have to be a really really crazy watt number that you're pushing right it just has to be crazy relative to where everyone else is at right yeah and if you know and if someone's riding in zone four then goes to light it up they don't have a whole lot of room to light it up right if you've got another rider that's cruising along at 300 watts in zone two and they've got a right. lot of room to light it up because obviously like the power fire where it's like nino's nino attacked on the silly he's doing 600 watts i'm like i can do 600 watts i can do 800 watts can i do what nino was doing for 95 percent of that race though absolutely not mm-hmm. you know that's like it's i think in, on the it's the attacking the high-end stuff where we're kind of the closest to the pros right yeah interesting but yeah that's yeah Did i just so make a good point you made a really good point actually <laughs> that's what you feel like all the time just kidding <laughs> Just kidding. So again, I've at risk of sounding like a broken record. Um, again, 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 the biggest mistake amateur riders make is their easy rides are too hard and their hard rides are too easy when it's, you know, so let's just try. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I'm probably not, you know, over this next little while, maybe just ease up on your, your zone two rides a little bit. Do a lot of them. Keep getting the volume yep. in. Just ease them up just a little bit to make sure you're not kind of crossing that stress threshold. But when it's time to do a hard workout, you flip a switch. Yep. And you just tell yourself, yeah, this is going to hurt a little bit. Yep. Go to a dark place. And you find your limits and you push them. Yep. Find yeah. your limits and push them. I like that. Yep. And that's, with what little I know about this stuff, that's the guaranteed way to get faster, you know, is can I tack, yep. a, can I tack a point onto your strong finish there? Please do. Is like, this is what makes the difference. Like, this is why Isaac Zabriskie is such a better bike rider than I am is discipline. Oh yeah. Cause like I get out and ride as frequently as Isaac does. And, and maybe even the amount of hours we're spending on the bike is roughly similar. He is just so much more disciplined with when he's going to go hard and when he's not. And I'm not, and you know, but and I should say, that's fine for me because like I oh I, yeah because I, you know, what Joe's doing is getting him faster oh yeah and it's making me a healthy person and yeah. it's it's what's getting me through the workday yeah, and there's stuff, definitely but, a good better best you know right and if you're a post if you're on like if you're post Nika great do whatever you want as long as your legs are turning and you've got a bike underneath you we don't care but if this is Nika and this is your chance to hit it out of the park before you have to go be a grown up like discipline is what's going to make the difference. And if you have ambitions to be a professional bike rider, it's a requirement. It is, it's not like a, this will help you. It's like, you have to be able to do this to be a professional bike rider. End of story. And the thing is too, is I love easy rides. Oh yeah. They're so pleasant. Can I throw something out there? Audiobooks. get the aftershocks headphones where you can still hear what's going on around you and listen to audiobooks. Like that's what was I was able to finally do some zone two and I started doing that because I was too bored. Otherwise, I'm, like, I'm bored. I need to attack, or I'm listening to music. I need to attack. Get on the bike and listen to it. like like it's a long drive. Enjoy the scenery. Go somewhere pretty. Listen to an audiobook. Yeah, like follow a new route or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is still exercise. It is still hard. Right. You know. You right, right, right. So. I I, I don't think that's the last we're going to talk about that. But um, <laughs> nope. But now. So that was the second type of easy ride. Right. The third type of easy ride, and these are getting progressively easy, is an actual zone one ride. And like I said, we really don't know where zone two 
Because zone one is a social construct over to yeah. zone one, but right. there probably is a point where, you know, if you're if you're trying to get a workout and you're trying to get faster, you should probably be above that point. Um, if you're below it, it doesn't ruin the ride. It Just leaving something on the table. Yeah, um, but there are times when you do need to go as slow as you can go. Yep. And well, first of all. Recovery rides, um, it's like it's a little bit controversial. I mean, a lot of people are kind of recommending people just don't do them. And I think the reason for that is, what do you think the reason for that would people be? People have bad discipline and they go too hard. They go too hard. Because what usually happens on a recovery ride is you get out. Yep. You know, at first your legs kind of feel like garbage. You ride a little bit. Legs start to feel a little better. Legs start to feel a little bit better. Someone passes you on the bike path. Ooh. You go catch them and then... And then all of a sudden you actually have wasted your time. Right. Yeah. Right, that, right. that right there is like doing a recovery ride is a total waste of time. I mean, well, well, <laughs> I heard you say that. I was like, wait, <laughs> I meant doing, I, doing a recovery ride too I'm little, hard. I'm a little drowsy right now, but I think, I think I must've missed the point. Here. Okay. Like, do I need to back that up? Nope. I'm not cutting that. Okay. Deal with doing it. a recovery ride too hard is, is an a waste absolute of time. waste of time. Because we say doing it too easy is leaving something on the table, right? No, you know, doing or, a recovery ride too or, easy. Um, sorry, I was like, there are cases where going too easy, leaving something, this is this is not that. This is yeah, like, this, this is, is a just, distinctly bad thing. Yeah, right? if you can't, yeah, if you can't do your recovery rides right, don't do them. Don't do them. Yeah. But I do personally think that there's a, there's a lot of benefit in doing a recovery ride. Now, interestingly, it's another one of those things that like, Nobody that I know of has ever been able to scientifically prove that recovery rides are better as opposed to just taking a day off. Um, the only like research they've really done on recovery rides is like in between intervals. Right. And they have proven that like, you know, it can kind of clear the legs and flush out lactate quicker than yeah if not but one one thing i do hear a lot i've heard people say they like to do recovery rides the next day to flush out the lactic acid and that's that's not, yeah don't not say that, that just won't make you look smart lactate uh, lactate usually clears within about a half hour after an effort right right um so what people mean when they say that is like it makes their legs feel less makes crappy. Your leg, yeah and it i improves can, your circulation and i can throw out that like I've I've really started to notice in the last few years that like taking days off the bike entirely makes me feel crappy when I get back on and if I do something if I go ride with Tessa in between or something I usually feel better that's I mean that's very not scientific but like from a feel perspective like taking two three days off the bike it's going to take me two three days to warm back into the bike is kind of what I've found so I don't know if there's science behind that but that's I feel that way. <laughs> I don't think there's official science, but I think there's enough people that have experienced it to, right. that there's some weight behind it. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, I personally, as long as you have the time, you know, like if, if you're like busy and, and it's hard to carve out time to ride, let alone carve out time to do a recovery ride, you could skip it and do other things. <laughs> right. But I personally think that recovery rides if nothing else, just help me feel better. And it kind of just makes sense that they would be beneficial because, you know, anytime you're moving, it improves your circulation. Right. You know, um, so, so pedaling your legs is going to improve your circulation, which to me just seems like is going to improve recovery. Right. You know, I mean, that just right, kind of right. makes sense to me. 
Um, it also removes lymph from your, you know, like um, the the lymphatic system requires movement to get it pumping and circulating. So right, you know, it's gonna like all these things just kind of make sense that it would yeah help you recover faster. Again, not science here. It's not but science, but kind of common sense. I think it does. Is yeah, kind of my thing. so, but again. If you need recovery, you need recovery because like we've talked about before, you know, like when you're under a state of stress, you don't adapt. Right. You have to rest before you can adapt. Adapt is our word for get better. To get faster. Right. And, um, you know, so the days when you need to take time off to recover to make adaptations to get faster. um, It's got to happen. Yeah, those days should be very, very restful. You should hikes are not recovery rides. Doing another sport hard is not a recovery ride. Uh, you can't do recovery rides on the Temple Quarry Trail. Like, like I, I used to be like all the time, like, oh, I'm gonna go recover up at Snowbird. Like, that's not a thing. It's it's impossible. Like, you can't be. I you, you can't balance. If I've you're doing even it heard there. of people like going and riding a shuttle, and riding downhill. Yeah. On a recovery day, and I'm like. I think that's keeping your stress level high enough yeah. that your body probably won't let you recover because the, right. the stress of going down a mountain fast. Properly descending is not a zone two recovery activity. Yeah, I don't think your body would would let you recover under no. those circumstances. Nope. So, um, Do those things. They're fun and yeah, good. Yeah, they're fun. But if, if you're like, oh, it's a recovery day, so I hear this all the time, it's a recovery day, I'm going to go do this. Or I'm like, that's not, it's not recovering. Yeah, so recovery ride... As a general rule of thumb, I just want to make this so easy. It should be half as hard and half as long as a normal ride. Do it on a flat road. <laughs> yeah. Like that means if a normal ride is at 180 watts, your recovery ride should keep, you should keep it under. And and I don't mean average 90 watts. I mean, 90 watts is your governor. That's the watt limit. Yeah. That's your limit. You can uh, go five over, but then, you know, you get a ticket after that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they should be shorter too. Like recovery rides. Five hours is not a recovery ride. Is two hours isn't a recovery. I was ride. gonna say two hours isn't a recovery ride. Even an hour is probably too long. Yeah. I go think, go take your non cyclist boyfriend out on a ride. Take your buddy who doesn't ride bikes out on a ride. Go on a nice easy walk around the circle. Right. Like and like I would avoid hills yep. at all costs because like even on a hill, even if you can keep your wattage low, your torque still higher. Right. On. There's there's stress on stress on your muscles, right? So, um, yeah. So, so yeah, I do I do think there's benefit in recovery rides, um, but you just needed that. Yeah, if you go too hard, you've just it's just a wasted opportunity. Yeah, like at that point, go do another hard ride. I guess I don't know. Like you may as well. I don't know. But yeah, so this time, let me just remind everyone that recovery is when we actually get faster. Yes. Um, make sure that if, if you're training 12 plus hours a week, um, your recovery days and weeks need to be, what's a word? Like just the more you train, the harder you train, the better your recovery has to be. Like yeah. this is, it, this is not one of those things where it's like, you can just work hard all the time and get better. Like if you have like the Instagram motivational mindset of just like wake up and kick butt every single day, like you're going to get, you're going to show up to a race and get hammered by a bunch of people who know how to rest properly. It's just that simple. Like there's, 
there's no like there's no way around this. This is and you know what? It sucks because like if it's a beautiful summer day and I love more than anything going out and riding my bike hard, it's it's what gets me out of bed every single morning. Like there are some beautiful summer days where like you just can't do that if you want to be fast, you know. Like there, this is this is an inescapable reality of the physical universe that we occupy. <laughs> There's no way around it. Yeah. So just as a review, as as far as like recovery goes, I mean, we usually recommend that at least in general, usually once a month, you should have recovery weeks, which usually means like three or four days in a row that you just keep it super. You basically have a recovery day every day for three or four days in a row. Um, every week you should have one or two or probably two, I think is best. I would say one of them would be a recovery ride and one of them would be a day completely off. And, um, and then the third time would be if you feel like you need it, you know? Like, oh yeah. Like that's underrated. Yeah. Like if for some reason you're feeling like garbage and you're really not sure why you might just need an extra recovery day or two and you probably need to eat a little bit more food. Yeah, um, your nutrition might be a little. Usually, away. like if you're through the warm up and into the second interval, and you still feel like you'll you'll get to know intuitively when it's like I'm sore, I can push through it, and like oh something's like bad, I need I need time off, you know. And and I think too, as youth athletes especially, you know, if you are doing a recovery day, um, you shouldn't think, well, I'm not exercising, so I shouldn't eat very much. Oh yeah, don't do that. Yeah, you you really need food so your body can have the building box blocks to repair itself teenagers listening and to this podcast to replenish replenish yeah. glycogen and yeah. so forth yeah recovery requires food yeah, you don't if you're a teenager listening to this unless your doctor says so you don't need to be like limiting your food any of the time i don't think you know eat if you're hungry yeah. and then sometimes even more <laughs> yeah so you know slow rides not a waste of time unless nope. unless you make them too hard so basically the hard. answer to your question is in some circumstances, you might be leaving something on the table is, is the truest answer to your original question, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, but yeah. But you know what? Just get out, ride lots, have fun, enjoy it. And, you know, when it's, when it's time to light it up, you, you, you've got room to light it up. Yep. So I don't know what else I can say. Well, I mean, we'll come back and say the same stuff again and again and again. And you know what? I think it's working, man. If we have races where we're taking three out of four spots on the podium, you know, Xander Lyman's doing something right. Let me tell you, that guy, he's got some of the best ride discipline I've ever seen. He does. So, so um, as always, if you have any questions, you folks know where to send them. Feel free to send us any more fun nutritional fads, if that's something that you think of this week. And uh, uh, stay safe. Wear your sunscreen. Um, look forward to seeing people at the iCup this weekend and uh, we will talk to you a week from now. Thanks as always folks.